confident in the fact that he is enough and the salvation that he offers is enough. It's the only way um, and it completely saves us. I'm so thankful for that truth. Um, well, Thursday, as of Thursday evening, I thought I was going to have to call on Pastor Matt to preach uh, this morning. Uh, some of you are laughing because you saw pictures of me. Um, I got stung by some sort of bee or wasp or hornet right on the lip. And my lip swole up so huge I could not talk or reason for that matter. I couldn't even drink water without drooling all over myself. Um, and it kind of it shifted itself around my face or not today. It's like down here a little more so I can talk at least. But my eye was swollen shut the next morning and it was it was a great time. So if if you're wondering why my face looks a little different, um, that's that's why I got stung pretty good on the mouth and it didn't feel very good. Um, today we're going to be in Luke chapter six. Um, we're going to be we're going to continue with our series, following in the steps of Christ, following His steps. And uh, last week we started into His His sermon uh, that that He was preaching, and it's interesting to look at a specific sermon that Christ preached. Uh, we don't find a whole bunch of them uh, in the Bible, but we do find a, a couple of them, several of them. And when we see Jesus preaching a message, specifically teaching on stuff, um, it's very important to pay close attention uh, to what he has to say and the message that he's delivering. And last week we, we saw Jesus emphasizing some spiritual truths where where uh, we looked at him explain how people could not rely on themselves and their own self-righteous acts and deeds for salvation, um, but they needed Christ, and they needed to find their, their salvation through Christ and forgiveness through Christ and, and not rely on themselves. Um, we looked at that, that passage under the title of Unconventional Wisdom because it seemed at face value when you read it, it seemed like, wow, Jesus, you're saying some interesting stuff. Like that's kind of kind of contrary to the culture, and and that's kind of not how the world operates. What are you talking about, Jesus? But we we broke it down. And we saw the spiritual truths that Jesus was teaching, and this week in our study today, um, we're going to see Jesus explain how to act and to react to different people, and again, this this wisdom, this these truths that Jesus is teaching, might seem a little unconventional, especially for the way the world operates, um, and the world view of most people. Um, what, I, what I want us to do, though, is just to look at what Jesus is saying. Consider who it is that is, that is teaching this, this message, that it's Jesus teaching truth. And pay close attention to what he has to say. It's, it's not me making this stuff up and saying, hey, you should do this, this stuff because I said so. I'm saying Jesus is explaining some stuff here. And whether it makes complete sense or not, whether it follows the way of the world or not, Jesus is speaking it. And it's very important. And we need to pay attention to what he has to say. And let's pray together and then, then we'll jump into our study. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for another opportunity to look into your word. I pray that you will please work on our hearts, Lord, that you will that you will open our eyes, that you will open our minds, that the Holy Spirit will work in us, Lord. I pray that, that you will just show your truths to us. And I pray that we will respond in obedience to you. 
I thank you for the way that you love us. I thank you for the way that you care for us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's start in verse 27 of Luke chapter 6. We'll go all the way down to verse 36 is my plan at least. Um, But starting in verse number 27. But I say unto you, which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. So Jesus starts out, but I say unto you, which hear. Um, Remember who Jesus is addressing here. We looked at it last week. We built a groundwork last week where... um, the disciples had come down. Jesus had just chosen the 12 apostles. They had come down from the mountain. They come down to a plain, probably still on the mountain, just a flat spot on the mountain. As they're coming down, there's a great, remember, a great multitude, we talked about that, of people from all over the land coming to hear Jesus, coming to see what Jesus was going to do. And Jesus starts teaching them. And as he starts to teach, he turns to his disciples, and he starts addressing his disciples. And as he starts out, Verse 27, he says, But I say unto you, which hear. And that's interesting to say to an audience. Because I can speak right now, and everybody in this room can hear words coming out of my mouth. They can hear noise coming out. But it's a little different when you actually pay attention, and you you hear, and and you apply, and, and you allow God to work in your life. And as Jesus is speaking here, it's like he's addressing those genuine disciples, those people who are actually going to listen to his words. Because no doubt the multitude could hear what he is saying. But he says, I have something important you need to hear. You need to listen to what I have to say. Here carries the idea of understanding, of obeying, of paying attention to. I sat in a lot of classes in school. I heard a lot of stuff. But I didn't hear a lot of stuff. I heard my teacher wah, wah, wah. But that's not what I was thinking about. And Jesus is encouraging the people here, directing the people who will actually hear, who will actually understand, and who will actually pay attention and obey to what he has to say. And then listen to what he's saying. Love your enemies. Everybody hear that? Love your enemies. Think about who would have been in the audience, who would have been hearing Jesus speak, maybe not listening or or paying attention, but maybe looking for reasons to catch him stumbling on his words or to catch him up saying stuff he shouldn't be saying. Think about some of the audience there. People whose religious ways, and we're talking about the Judaizers here who were counting on their, their traditions and their their moral standings and the keeping of different works and laws, people whose religious ways led them to be narrow, exclusive, intolerant, loveless, and condemning. And as we look at how they dealt with the Galatians and how they dealt with the, the Christians for that matter, how they dealt with Christ for that matter, this group of people, uh, we can see them having a problem when Jesus says, love your enemies. Hatred of their enemies was elevated to a spiritual virtue for them. Did everybody catch that? Hatred of their enemies was elevated to a spiritual virtue. And we're not talking about people necessarily doing wrong to them. Some of them were, however. But some of these Jews hated the Gentiles because they were Gentiles. They hated certain different people groups. Um, They hated 
the Romans, which they were having some conflict with the Romans at this time. But we see this group of people who was hating their enemies, literally hating them and counting that as a spiritual virtue. I hate you, you know, and counting that for righteousness somehow is a crazy, crazy thought to me. But here we have Jesus saying, love your enemies. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 43 and 44. Ye have heard that it hath been said, Thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, Love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. Many people would find this message from Jesus, this love your enemies, as incomprehensible, as shocking, as unacceptable. Because Jesus is saying, Love your enemies. Not only love your enemies, but do good to them which hate you. What is, what is good talking about? Doing things that will benefit them. So can you see some of the audience here seeing Jesus say these words and then just kind of scratching their heads? Jesus, why would I love my enemies? And especially, why am I going to do good to my enemies? And remember, good is doing things that will benefit them. Why would I help those people who hate me and who don't like me? But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies, do good to them which hate you. Those who follow Christ can expect to be hated. And we talked about that last week a little bit, but, I mean, that's kind of interesting news to hear. If you love Christ, people are going to hate you. People are going to reject you. Um, interesting thought. But John, John chapter 15, verses 17 through 19. And again, I'm just reemphasizing these different thoughts. John 15, verses 17 through 19. These things I command you that ye love one another. If the world hate you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. When believers face hatred, the response should be seeking good for those that hate them. Why? They need Jesus. That's the reason that you're being hated, because they don't have Jesus. They're of the world. They love their own. And there's that hatred for Jesus and the people of Jesus. Uh, not a real popular or encouraging message this morning. I just want to throw that out there. Um, it, gets, it gets, at the end, it all, it all comes together here. Um, but it's not encouraging to walk into a church and hear the pastor tell you, the world's going to hate you if you love Jesus. But it's a reality because Jesus is, is not of the world. Look at verse 28. Bless them that curse you and pray for them which despitefully use you. Bless them that curse you. What's that talking about? Say good things in response to evil words. When people speak evil of you, your response is to say, respond with kindness. 
Think of how Christ's followers have been treated throughout the years. There's books written, there's volumes written of people who were martyred, burned at the stake, all kinds of unthinkable deaths. We saw how some of his apostles were just brutal deaths where they were skinned alive. Think of how Christ's followers have been treated throughout the years. Um, Luke 6.22, we looked there last week. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company, and shall reproach you, and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Think of how Jesus was treated on the cross. I know we're familiar with that. But think of the way Jesus was treated leading up to the cross and even on that cross. Mocked by those. How did he respond? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. With mercy, with grace, with compassion. Verse 28 goes on to say, Pray for them which despitefully use you. Despitefully use you is talking about insult to slander or to falsely accuse. We found Jesus being treated that way on his earthly ministry. Um, we, we saw Stephen praying for those when he was martyred. Do you remember at, when Stephen was executed? Do you remember how he responded? Acts chapter 7, verses 59 and 60. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen was martyred, and his response was praying for those who were persecuting him. I mean, me personally, if I was being stoned, it would be hard for me to not start picking up the stones and throwing them back. But we have examples here of, of Stephen praying for those people. They were blind. They were hating Christ. They were hating Him because He loved Christ. But He's obedient to what Christ said to pray for those which despitefully use you. How often is... Just think of your, your daily life, your, your relationships. How often is the tendency to spit back slander when someone slanders you or your name? I mean... I think that's a fair question. But does that slander fix the problem? Verse 29. And unto him that smiteth thee on the cheek, offer also the other. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid him not to take thy coat also. So here we have um, being spoken of... Verse 29, unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer him the other also. It's not like Jesus is forbidding his followers to defend themselves if they're dangerously attacked. Um, because in Luke 22, 36, Jesus told the apostles to buy a sword if they needed one. There were times, though, when the disciples would face persecution or they would be insulted and would be unable to defend themselves. They were not to retaliate. They were continue to love and to pray for those treating them that way. Could you imagine hearing this for the very first time? Could you imagine the audience standing there hearing Jesus say this stuff? New thought. 
we, I mean, we've had the opportunity to hear this stuff taught and to, and to read this stuff and to study this stuff. But you have Jesus speaking this stuff to people who are hearing it for the first time. I wonder what they were thinking. Think about how Jesus responded when he was mistreated. And we've done that a little bit. But how did Jesus respond when he was mistreated? He responded with love. He continued to hang on that cross and to die. To be executed, to be murdered, to pay for the sins of the world. What an example that he left. And when you say, how can I be kind to someone who said something mean to me? Let's rewind a little bit and think of Jesus hanging on that cross for every single one of our sins. Verse 29 goes on. And him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid him not to take thy coat also. So the cloak and the coat. Uh, We'll explain those. The cloak was an outer coat, and that would be used also for a blanket at night to sleep with. A lot of people just had one coat. That was your blanket. That was your coat. Um, I mean, my kids would like that if they got to take their blanket everywhere. I know your kids have a blanket. Um, But they would have this outer coat, like a blanket, and if you loaned it to someone, they were supposed to give it back before nighttime so that you would have your blanket to stay warm. And what's going on here? Hey, if someone takes your coat, if they run away with it, you should give them your coat also. The word coat is used, that's talking about the shirt that's under the cloak. So hey, they want your, your outer coat, go ahead and give them your shirt too. Just this idea of being responding to this horrible treatment with, with kindness. Even if their coat was taken, they were to continue loving and ministering, even if it cost them their shirt as well. That takes a love from God. A love that only God can give. Look at verse 30. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. So what we have here is we have what is implied as a genuine need. And Jesus is speaking here of borrowing and lending. And he goes farther than lending where he says, just just give it to him. If they borrow it, if they don't give it back, just just give it to them. If they have that genuine need, give it to them. The end of verse 30, even if you get robbed, you're to continue showing love. One commentator said, the disciple, listen closely to this, the disciple loses less by letting his things be taken wrongfully than he would by with a selfish heart clamoring to have them returned. Can I read that again? The disciple, I'm speaking about the follower of Christ, loses less by letting his things be taken wrongfully than reacting with a selfish heart and clamoring to have them returned. Have you ever held on to bitterness over someone owing you something? Maybe even something small? Does it solve anything? Does that bitterness that you're holding on to, does that fix the debt that they owe? It doesn't. This sounds difficult, 
This sounds unfair, what Jesus is talking about. As disciples of Christ, we need to follow Christ's example. And that's what he is clearly explaining here. Hey, when you're treated this way, act this way. When someone does this to you, react this way. It may not seem fair, it may not seem right, but just trust in me. Follow my example. We can follow Christ's example when we understand, or we can confidently follow Christ's example, I should say, when we understand 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not. And here's the key. But committed himself to him that judgeth, judgeth righteously. We can confidently rely on the one, the ultimate judge. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. We can rely on God, the true, just judge. Even when we are treated wrongly. Even when Christ was treated wrongly, he could rely on God, the one that judgeth righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. For ye were as sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Christ committed himself to him who judged righteously. Look at verse 31. This is the familiar one right here. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Treat others the way you want to be treated. Um, and in acting like this, it's a selfless love. This is a love that focuses on the well-being of its object. The kind of love that God has for us. Treat others the way you would want to be treated, whether they reciprocate that treatment or not. And we try to teach this, this truth to our kids. Treat others the way that you want to be treated. And... I'll just tell you which kid it is. Um, Maverick. You could probably guess it. Um, you know, we try to teach all our kids this, but Mav has this idea where if, if someone treats him wrong, that's the way they want to be treated. Instead of treat others how you want to be treated. Well, they're treating me that way, Dad, so they wanted to be smacked in the face. <laughs> just just to, be, to be honest with and. But how, I mean, we can laugh at that and we get the all oh, silly kid. But don't, don't we see that where, man, these people aren't treating me right. I guess they wanted to be treated this way. And we miss, we miss the picture where we are to treat others the way that we want to be treated, focusing on them, not on us. Treat people right no matter what. Romans 5, 5, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. And, and Romans, they're speaking about the blessings brought by justification. One of those blessings is the love of God. We have the love of God shed abroad in our hearts, which will help us to treat people right. Verse number 32. 
For if ye love them which love you, what thank have ye? For sinners also love those that love them. Um, and what you can see here is a contrast in, or between the love of God and the love the world has. Sinners here are speaking of unbelievers. Um, we're, we're all sinners, but sinners here are speaking of unbelievers. And that phrase, thank have ye. What is that talking about? It's um, what grace or goodness is that action. And what it's speaking about is what good is it? What, what grace are you showing? What grace are you portraying if the only time you're nice to other people is when they're nice to you? Or if you love those that love you? Because you know what? Sinners, the world loves that same way. They love because of what or how it benefits them. Verse 33, And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have ye? For sinners also do the same. We have the same idea continuing. Look at verse number 34. And if ye lend to them of whom ye hope to receive, what thank have ye? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. The same idea. If you are only loving, if you're only doing good, if you're only acting this way because of how it benefits you, what grace are you showing? Such a self-serving attitude allows others' goodness to limit one's own. It also opens the door for people to justify seeking vengeance on those who fail to do good to them. I, I use that quote because how true is that? When we are operating solely on how it will benefit us, it, it lends ground for, for revenge and for you didn't treat me right, so I'm going to treat you this way. And it just opens the door for acting like those who do not have the love of God shed abroad in their heart. Look at verse 31. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. Our motive for loving, for serving, for caring, for helping should not be based on how the situation will benefit us. The world operates that way. And that is the norm of the day. The supernatural love of God on display in our lives is a powerful witness for the truth of the gospel. And this is how we're, we're going to wrap it all up today. When we love differently than the world, when we act differently than the world, the truth of the gospel, the reality of the gospel is on display. How can you act like that when people treat you that way? Well, I have the love of God. Loving like that, when we love like that, we are letting our light shine, which is what Jesus told us to do. Look at verse 35. But love ye your enemies, and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again, and your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. A lot going on in this verse. But Jesus makes it clear that we are to contrast the actions and the reactions of the unbelievers. And this type of love puts on display for the world those who are the children of the highest. What an honor 
to be a child of the highest. And think of that reality. If you have trusted in Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins, if you've turned to him as your Lord and Savior, believing in his death, his burial, and his resurrection, you are a child of the highest. And in loving this way, we put on display, I am a child of the highest. You might not like the highest, but I'm his child. He is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. We see God's grace here and we see God's mercy here. And we have the privilege of being examples of God's graciousness. How incredible is that? When you think of the grace God has given to you, we have the opportunity to be examples of that grace for the world. When you are wrongfully treated, there's an opportunity to respond with grace and represent that you are a child of the highest. Verse 36, Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. Doesn't that kind of put things into perspective for us when we consider God's mercy? We are to be merciful. And we could spend hours talking about God's mercy and the way He has showed mercy, the way He has given grace but we consider the mercy God has given to us and to consider that we are to be merciful like that. What, what an encouragement for us to follow the teachings of Christ in all these ways, in all these realities that we will actually face or we actually do face or maybe you're in the middle of some of these realities right now. We can remember, I'm a child of the highest and I have the privilege of putting God's grace on display. I can show His mercy to the world. How has God displayed His mercy and His grace to humanity? He gave His, gave his Son perfect sacrifice to pay for our sins. He made a way for us to be declared righteous. How has God displayed His grace and His mercy to you on a personal level? Think about His goodness. And think about the privilege that we have to let our light shine from Him to this world that is in darkness. We have the opportunity to put on display that we are a child and it's by showing grace and mercy. And it's by loving, not because of how it will benefit us. It's loving because He loved us. Even though we are unworthy. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank You so much for Your grace and Your mercy.